Welcome to Love Maps, your guide to love, sex and relationships. I'm your host, Joe Nickel. I'm a psychotherapist and relationship coach. For 25 years, I've been working with couples and individuals, and I know firsthand that many people are not having the sex and love life they want. So I decided to make this podcast to give people the tools they need to get the relationships they long for with more passion, intimacy and connection. So what is a love map? A love map is the blueprint for our relationships which we developed in the early stages of our life. There's a saying, show me how you were loved and I will show you how you love. Our culture shows us how to fall in love, but I want to show you how to stay in love. Each episode, I'll be hanging out on my sofa with an invited guest who has a particular interest or expertise in love and sex. And together, we'll explore a specific topic so that you can take away tools and new ideas that I hope will transform your relationships. Today our guest is Penny Ma, a psychotherapist and a colleague of mine, and she's a wonderful woman whose work with adolescents and adults is transformational. And we are going to be chatting and really delving into the subject of how our past shapes the way we love. Also with me on Love Maps is my regular sofa buddy and editor, Richard Cotton, who is as passionate as I am about improving our relationships. Hey Richard. Hello, hello. Hi. So today we're doing. Today we're talking about how our past shapes um, our relationships. Mm. And my goodness, I know that my past has shaped my relationships. And I'm going to think about the things that have not helped me because mm. I know things that have helped me. Yeah. Which is loyalty, kindness, and I can get very attached. And I think that. I get overattached mm. and I don't let go. Right. No, I'm one of these people that when it's over, it's like, no, it's not over. And I know that that is a lot to do with my childhood. Yeah. And being sent away to boarding school. Okay. And the fear of letting go, saying goodbye. Saying so what goodbye. do you, you, you try and stay friends? Is that the, is that the game? Is I that just, the... I'll try and stay anything. I will be anything. Rather than let that person Rather go from goodbye, your life. Rather than say this is over, I may not see you again ever. I mean that. So the finality of separation is something that's just. Absolutely traumatic Traumatic. For me. Well, it has been, but I've done a lot of work on myself, had mm. years of therapy, understand why I behave like that. And it was very much from my past. Tell me something about the way you think your past has shaped your relationships. Well, I think there was... <laughs> My memory of, of growing up is that there was quite a lot of conflict around. There's lots of heated discussion, shall we say, mm -hmm. about things. And um, I think, you know, I, I, less so now, I have to say, but certainly in my 20s and 30s, I think I have not wanted to get into conflict. So you found yourself avoiding conflict. Yeah. And that was based on something that you learned about conflict from your family growing up yeah, or what was around it. you, that conflict meant something to you. That didn't want it. But of course, yeah. then then, then what happens it. is I don't, you know, I wasn't getting into the conversations that needed to happen. Yeah. Because I was afraid of the, you know, uh, sort of explosive aspect yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so a way of avoiding contact and certain aspects of a relationship that actually you could have done. Yeah. 
but there's a part of you that was avoiding it Just because of something you'd learned growing up. It's a beautiful example. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, so Penny, I'm so excited to finally get you here because we've been talking about this for ages, you and I, and the fact that I finally got you sitting here on the sofa and talking to me about something we both feel so passionately about. It's absolutely lovely. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jill. Lovely to be here. It's interesting, Richard, to hear you talk about the modelling you got from your parents. And I'm guessing some of that modelling you were doing, you were unconscious of. All of it. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing, that we, it's not something we ever think about, that our behaviour is something that um, has been shaped and is rooted in the past, so much so that we have lost the trail. Particularly the older you get, you lose the trail back to those experiences. Because what we know is all we know. So if you only know the pond you're in and don't stop to reflect on that pond, you will always behave in that way, Mm. which is what we all do. Yeah. And it's not until we're in relationship with people outside of our sphere that those templates, those patterns will become tested. And that's sometimes when things can get a little bit more stressful or more fruitful. It, It can produce more fruitful things. So those templates, which um, I refer to as love mats, the blueprint, yeah, that that place that beds that were embedded in from our families and what we grow from in terms of our self knowledge and our the way we think about ourselves in the world and in relationships. When you get out of that bubble, do you think the first time one it really comes up against? what one's learnt in the bubble is in adolescence or beforehand? Well, I, th- I think um, if you look at a child's growth development, mm. the sort of under 11 stage is very, we call it latent. It's a very calm period. There's not a lot happening. But within that early 11 years, there will still be behaviours because children go to school and, and f- get involved in, in groups and how they react within those groups will already be showing what is happening at home. Absolutely. So, for instance, a child who perhaps is experiencing a high level of aggression at home will probably either be very aggressive in the playground or may well be a little bit submissive and scared in the playground. Mm. So it, it's having an effect from the earliest stage, mm. Mm. but we just don't realise, we don't think about it. And of course, then in adolescence, what happens in adolescence is the environment in which we're growing becomes much bigger and the importance of the environment changes. So our peers become much more influential to us as we're pushing away from our parents. So it's that wonderful push-pull of adolescence. Is that the rebellion? Yes. The teenage, known as the teenage rebellion. Yes, one way of explaining it. And it's when, when I want you, I want you desperately. So we'll all recognise that with our teenage selves or our teenage kids. When we want you, oh my God, we want you now and we want all of you. And that's experienced throughout, you know, I see that with adults. 
Indeed. You know, I see there's a part of me that also has that, you know, wanting it now, wanting you now. It's it's that intense. It's intense. Need. And it's that adolescent self that hasn't really grown up or, yes. or that part that hasn't been processed. And the flip side is when we don't want our parents, we really don't want them. And, and we can almost sometimes feel hated by our children. And it's that intensity, it's that, that polar love, opposite. Yeah. yeah, The love-hate mm. can be incredibly extreme. And actually there's a very good American psychologist called Dan Siegel who, des- who describes the teenage brain as a Ferrari with the accelerator hard down and no brakes. Yeah. So they need us to brake for them and they need us to think for them. Because they need to, another phrase he uses, which I love, they need to borrow our prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking part of the brain at the front here. Mm. And that's why when they're pushing away from us hard, we might feel very rejected by them. So when they come looking for our thinking capacity, if we've learned a pattern of withdrawal and sulking because they've been mean hard to and angry and indeed angry with us yeah. and we they may don't, they not, don't like us yeah we may not be able to we respond. go into a quite childlike state and we go into our reactivity yes. our survival strategy which is an intro one of the things we learned about in our family of origin are these survival strategies yes. aren't they Penny? Yes. Yes, what do one. we do to survive our family of origin how do we learn to regulate incredibly difficult feelings Yes. And it could have been, as you just said, through withdrawal and sulking. Yes. And our children, our, our own children can trigger that in us. Indeed, Where yeah. we lose our capacity to go to the prefrontal cortex adult thinking and that other part of our brain, which is reacting to fight and flight and free, fear, the amygdala, is activated and does this very childlike response even to our children. Yes. So the child, we so instead of being an adult to our child, as you're saying, to the, our adolescents, we go into the playground with them. Yes. We go into that childlike state with them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. This is um, maybe for another podcast, but how do you, how, and it's really about communication, isn't it? How do we communicate with our children? How do we help them put the brakes on? I mean, in what, are we just are we showing them by our own behaviour? As you're saying, I think Joe is that we either are reactive or we are we are processed and we're able to engage the adult part of our brain. Do we just do it through our own behaviour, or is there are there methods for talking to? Well, one one thing I would strongly recommend is that when a teenager or an adult is triggered emotionally, the thinking part of the brain tends to go offline. So a bit like your mobile phone crashes on you. That happens to all of us. And it's an evolutionary mechanism that allows us to go into fight, flight, freeze. Okay, so it was there from the oldest part of our time on Earth. The trouble is now they tend to be a bit overreactive. So if the teenager's in a turbulent state, mum's in a turbulent state, dad's in a turbulent state, nobody is capable of hearing anything. So the first thing I always recommend with teenagers or parents is that there's no point having a conversation until everything has calmed down. 
because no one can take it in. And yeah. it's not because you don't want to take it in. All of us will recognise this scene where your child is in full anger because you've said no to them going to that party or going out with their friends. And you start lecturing them on why you've said they can't go out to that party. They can't hear you. But you're thinking they're not listening to me because they don't respect me. So there's that really interesting dynamic going on where actually if we could understand that they're not capable of hearing us, and we're probably not capable of hearing them. And so I always suggest to people, wait until everything has calmed down and, to, and then come back around the table and have a family chat. You know, It's so interesting you're breath. saying this because this is also how um, we, certainly I... Um, help couples that I work with who are in the grip of this very triggered amygdala state. They are in that part of their brain that is surviving. They're in their survival strategy. Some people call it a defensive system. You know, when we are endangered, as you say, we, you know, which we are in our very intimate, close relationships, when we feel vulnerable, we feel endangered, we go into that amygdala part of our brain and in order to step out of it, in the same way that you encourage parents with their adolescence, you know, hoping there is somebody with that part of their, yeah. the parent brain, <laughs> the adult brain active yeah. in the moment. But you're right, it's actually to say to everybody, adult and adolescent Absolutely. child, step away. It's very important so that you can reappraise what's happening in a more adult context and also to I know that when you reckon when you name the feeling when you name the effect of what is happening on you it calms the amygdala down yes just step back for a moment and think about what they're feeling and maybe become more so being aware of themselves in the moment. And the trouble is, and Joe, in those heated moments, so you're caught in the eye of a storm. Yeah. And so as a mom, I might be sitting there feeling they don't respect me. I've lost all control. I feel very insecure as a mother. I'm very anxious. I could say the same thing as a lover. Oh, I feel right. out of control. They don't understand me. I don't know what's going on. Because the common Why denominator don't they listen to me? Is, is me, isn't it? The common denominator in those relationships, whether it's parental or whether it's as a lover, it's, it's me. And again, we're coming back to my, if I can identify how I'm feeling... And you're saying that's a release, that's a pressure valve that you can, by naming it, bring it out into the open, into the light. Yes, that's a lovely way to describe it, a pressure valve, exactly. And, and I sometimes say to, to, to parents, if, you know, if you're pushing hard against somebody, so imagine I'm pushing hard against you, Joe, you're not having a disagreement in work. What will that do to you? I'm pushing hard to get my point of view over to you. I will want to resist. Exactly. You will want to push back and you will want to resist. So it yeah. becomes a competition yeah. between two powerful people, you know, yeah. who's going to win. Nobody wins those. Nobody. Yeah. It just escalates. See, for me, I, I take it inside. My, my historically, in the past, yeah. I have taken it inside. Yeah. And, you know, and that, it's very interesting. What actually. would that do? Though? Well, what, just watching you, you, watching you describe that. Uh, so you're, you're saying... Joe, I'm pushing at you and I'm watching you and I'm, you're describing how you're feeling and it makes you want to push back. I can see there's a kind of, it's almost like a kind of internal storm 
and what you do with that storm, you either release it and push it yes. back, or you allow it to fester and continue. Or, or you name you. it. Just say, "I'm finding yes. this quite uncomfortable. I'm wondering what it is that you want." Yes, but that's the really healthy thing. That's what. No, yes. that is that, that, that is because you're a therapist. I'm a therapist. <laughs> well, that's, a lot of us couldn't do that. But I know it's true. A lot of us can't do it. But I think that the point is that we have to really be conscious of making these choices in the moment as much as we possibly can. This is learnt strategizing. It's not like saying. Oh, overnight you're going to be able to do this. This is understanding that actually you have to learn to do this. You have to learn to regulate your automatic nervous system so you don't go straight into the reactivity that the part of your brain wants you to do. You're not reacting to a snake that's just jumped out of a tree act. You don't (laughs) have to fight. You don't have to fly, flee, and you don't have to freeze. This is a a person usually that you care deeply about that is doing this to you. Because this is evoking our deep attachments from our family. This is why it matters so much. This is why the past, our family... Our love maps evoke so much feeling in us. And our work is helping people understand what they learned to go there with compassion and love for themselves and respect for the system, whatever it was, and an understanding of why mum was like that, why dad was like that, what did they learn? What was it like for them when they were the mother? Yeah. They were the daughter of granny. Yeah. You know, just understanding that whole thing so that it's opened up to them in a way that they can then go there, understand it with compassion. So when this stuff, when this shit comes up and you're in this reaction, you want to push back and you're shouting or you're withdrawing, in that you can, t- you can say, look, I need time out. Actually, yeah. need yeah. I can I feel it. It's yeah. coming up. I'm in the grip. I don't know quite how to name it yet because I know that naming it will help it, and I can just name it and take responsibility. Maybe, and I do say this to my couples: if you just in that moment, instead of going into it, just say, "Look, I need some time out." That's I think that's lovely, Joe. And then you take yourself, but you are also responsible for bringing yourself back in. Yes. One thing I would add to that is yeah. I, I give my clients a sort of very simple phrase and I say, pause, breathe and think. And it's yeah, the breathe lovely. bit that Love gets that. missed out. Breathing, absolutely. Because yeah. what happens is you're in the middle of the storm, taking yourself out, fabulous. It's, it really is the only thing to do. It does work. Yeah. But what are you going to do when you take yourself out? Just breathe. Because when we breathe, the whole muscular system of the body relaxes Mm -hmm. and whatever is happening has a chance to be processed. Thanks for listening to Love Maps. Stay tuned for the second half of our podcast with Penny Marr. You can find more information and support on our website, lovemapspodcast.com and follow Love Maps Podcast on Instagram. I think it's a really interesting point for listeners is to understand when is the adult brain fully formed? Because I've heard it's about 24, 25. 25. Until you're 25, your adult brain is not fully formed. Yes. 
What does that mean for people who are going into relationships at 20, 19, 20, 21? For instance, these young people who have been on Love Island, who are extremely young, I think, as in they're not fully adult yet, but are being asked to have and perform in an adult way relationships for other people to observe and learn from. What would you say about that, Penny? That I just want to jump in here mm. with this adult brain thing. How do you think the fact that the adult brain hasn't been formed impacts on the way these young adults are having relationships well, from your experience? Well, I think the emotions we often feel in our tummy, you know, our tummy will suddenly become very um, unsettled and we'll have butterflies in our tummy. We might have angry feelings, might feel like a fire in our stomach. And it actually takes a while for those feelings to travel up the spine through the central nervous system into the brain for the brain to actually work out what's going on. Now, if you add into that, that it takes till about 25 to be able to understand what's going on, you can imagine what those teenage relationships are like. They're very high pressure. Reactive. Very reactive, very high stress. And then to put cameras for the world to see on top of that so for your love island example is an incredibly stressful situation mm. because a they've got very young ways of understanding what's going on and those ways of understanding what's going on are very much rooted in their families because they've barely left their families and they're meeting new people and it's all being judged by the world Girls receive a lot of image-based esteem. You know, do you think I look good in this? Okay, if I don't look good, then I can't go out. Whereas with boys, it can often be, you know, how did you score that goal at yeah. school? Did, how high did you jump? Were you the best at? Yes. So lots of messages that also around self-esteem that we're receiving in our families of origin. What did it mean to be a boy or a girl growing up? become exacerbated I think in adolescence where it becomes much more exaggerated around peer. So self-esteem for me is something that goes up and down depending on the support network we have mm -hmm. and what's going on in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, resilience is, is sort of in the mix with self-esteem and resilience how much I can tolerate is probably a more important factor in terms of holding yourself together. It's interesting that we're talking about uh, a strategy to with, withdraw and breathe. That's what we've just yep. been talking about, yep. right? To, mm. to take yourself, take mm. oneself away from the inflammatory situation yep. and breathe and then make the choice to re-enter yeah. from mm. a more centred position. That's the yep. principle. And I think, I personally speaking, I tend to do that but I wonder as well whether there isn't value in allowing the reaction sometimes to say to 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 say back off, you know, to, in, in that moment, and that actually by losing that impetus to really let out what's necessary to be let mm -hmm. out, mm -hmm. maybe I haven't said the things I've calmed, my, I've calmed yeah. myself down. I've come back in. I've said. It's okay. But surely that's dependent on what, what you're reacting is. to. Yes. Mm. There's nothing wrong with anger. Right, good. It's where it's that's appropriate. That's what I just wanted to... Yeah, no, it's not I so totally I totally agree. All emotional states are absolutely great unless they're abusive and hurtful to another person and you have to check the context of where they're coming from. And if I can say, one of, one of the ways I explain it is try to teach people to separate feeling from a behaviour. 
We are emotional beings and feelings do not respond to being told, be quiet. If you are triggered into anger, you're going to feel angry and that's super healthy. What you're giving yourself with the pause is a choice on what to do with your anger. Anger is a wonderful emotion because it's actually a life-saving emotion because it's only when we get angry that we get superhuman in strength. You know, you'll suddenly get so fed up with the situation, you'll have the guts to confront and change it. That time out from old fixed behaviors and reactivity which is you're saying you know you you see the clenched fist you can feel it you know that is coming from an energy that's That's being driven from a very strong feeling inside of you is being able to recognize maybe you can recognize it only through your your clenching you think oh okay shit i'm clenching again time out that time out doesn't necessarily mean to be go to another it could be go to the gym and hit a bag go to the Go to, go to, to another room. Go to the bedroom, hit a pillow. It's mm-hmm. all about self-regulation. Mm-hmm. But if you allow that feeling, so be truthful to yourself and, and you know, acknowledge okay. and say, I'm getting really angry. And that's fine. And it might be irrational. That's fine. And that's fine. Just have some love yeah. for yourself and compassion for that part that needs to be expressed. Yeah. But don't go into expressing it at your loved one because the loved one has to be the relationship has to be held in respect or the other risk you run is and this was certainly true of me when I was growing up I anger wasn't really allowed it was not polite to be angry and it was not ladylike you know I grew up in the days where you were told you've got to be ladylike you've got to sit like this you've got to behave like that because that's how ladies behave I, I think you can see by the way I'm sitting that I'm <laughs> actually rebelled against that from the minute I was For told how to do of, that uh, people who can't see how Joe's sitting she's very relaxed not sitting nicely at all. <laughs> so I learned to be very cut off from my anger. I didn't do anger. And lots of people will um, um, sort of align with this. But of course, we all get angry. And what would happen with me is the anger would be quietly building inside. And sweet, good-natured Penny would one day blow like a volcano. <laughs> and everybody would be shocked, including me. And I'd, I'd, love to see you, I'd love to see you blow like a volcano, oh, I because I've only done so in my past. And, I, and then when I learned that it was okay to be angry and that I could own that anger and say, actually, I'm, I'm angry and it's irrational and I know you won't understand and you won't get it, but it's mine and I'm okay with that. Oh. And I'm just going to let myself calm down and then I'm going to come back and tell you why I'm so angry. And I don't even need you to agree with me. I just need you to hear me. So how did you get to that? Therapy. <laughs> Therapy. Therapy. Well, I, I At what age? When did you start? Well, in my 20s, when I went to work, I remember having my first blowout to my boss. And he came to see me the next day and he sat down and I'll never forget this. And he said to me, I totally understood why you were so angry with me. What I didn't understand was your reaction. It was terrifying. I was scared. Well, great feedback. Wonderful. It was a gift. It was an absolute gift. And that's when I first of all suddenly thought, why did I do that? And then I thought, I know why I did it. That's what my mother used to do. Mm. She would accept everything, cope with everything. Nothing bothered her until Mm. it all got too much and the volcano blew. So I thought that was okay. It was only when I went into the working world and the working world said to me, actually, that's not okay. We were all a bit shocked by that. And then I was ashamed. And so I then 
decided to go and investigate. And in my 30s, I did a psychology degree. And that's when I found my language. I think it's interesting you bring up the word of shame, because I think there is such mm. a thing as healthy shame. Because shame is given quite a sort of bad rap. And actually, there is such, I think healthy shame yeah. promotes growth. Yes. It's like when you think, you know what, I really was an asshole. I really, yes. I, that was inappropriate. I really overreacted. I yeah. was cruel and I'm ashamed and I want to know why. Yes. I've really hurt a loved one. I've said something I didn't mean. I've caused pain. And I think that health, that shame is really great for growing healthy self-esteem. Yes, I agree, and Joanna. That's a lovely point. A lovely for yourself. Point. Yeah and compassion for yourself and an understanding the less you really deeply go to the source the love map these deep roots of learning from our childhood unless we can go there we don't we don't have a chance to truly connect to ourselves parts of ourselves and have deep a deeper connection therefore to our loved ones yes. and be able to tolerate the difficulties of an intimate relationship because we are all vulnerable i mean to be intimate demands our vulnerability doesn't it yes it to does. be close to, to another the way to get rid of that shame because we don't want to harbor that shame do we we don't want it to continue is to change our behaviors right and very lovingly uh, and just saying yes. you know there's a part of me that is obviously very activated and hurt or angry and i need to understand what that is in that story I just shared, I definitely felt ashamed because I yeah. realised that what I was delivering to my boss came from my past, not from what he'd yes. done. Yes. So I was able to own that and say to him, you know, I was able to apologise. And I think you have to forgive yourself. You have to realise we're human and we are all going to make mistakes. But those mistakes are rich learnings. And if I hadn't blown up in work, if I'd only kept it for my private life, Things get tolerated in your private life that won't get tolerated in the wider world, which is why the wider world is such a great teacher. And there's a wonderful expression, and I forget who says it, but we learn about ourselves in relationship. Going back to the whole premise of this, instead of having a reaction to something that a loved one or a work colleague, usually it's loved one, usually these, I mean, I say the, the outer world does evoke in us feelings, but it's... I think in the home with loved ones that very much deeper and often more painful feelings are evoked. And it's how do we go from that, you know, um, reactivity to reflective response? Mm. Now, I, one thing I would say, and that is it's a very hard thing to do on your own. Our psyches don't like to be anxious. And we also hide things from ourselves. So it's very hard to be fully truthful with mm, ourselves. Very hard. And that's why if you can either with a therapist or a, perhaps a friend who you know is going to be truthful to you. But we can be that for our partners as well, can't we? Absolutely. I mean, in the way that your boss yes. was you know, yes. able to yes. make a stand and say that's not acceptable behaviour and you need to look at that because I know it's not about me. Yes. If in relationship... If we are on the receiving end of that explosive behaviour, we can also recognise, I may be doing things which yes. spark that, but the anger is, yes. belongs and to me. I think that's person. a good point, actually. It's sort of working out what belongs to me mm. and what belongs mm. to the other. And that can be really difficult for couples because we're so entwined. 
But if you can, and it's one thing I try and, and work out with, because I only work with individuals, so I've never got the other half. Jo's lucky she'll have a couple in the room. But I'm working with a single person. What belongs to you and what belongs to your partner? And sort of recognising and untangling that and saying, okay, you were very angry with me this morning. That's your anger. I felt very frightened. That's owning your part. And it's trying to tease those things apart and working out what is yours and what is mine. And the image I give people is, um, I love to garden. And um, I see a lot of my teenagers in a room at the end of my garden. And I always say to them, if, if I buy three shrubs for the garden and I plant them very close together, when they grow, ultimately they're going to become one large shrub. You will never know there was three there. Well, the same happens with relationships. We have to have our own space around us to work out what's mine and what's yours. Or be differentiated. There's this kind of collusion to be the same. I often hear it with, you know, we always finish each other's sentences. We do this together. We like this, the same thing. So there's no sort of a capacity for the other to have a different point of view, to like different films, to like different music. And that actually keeps the two of them trapped in well, a very does. small I mean, place. Because it will kill the yes. relationship. Yes. Not being able to tolerate other people's differences. And that perhaps there's a misunderstanding in relationships that we have to be the same to get on. We don't. We don't have to be the same, but there needs to be, surely there needs to be enough crossover of common interest, doesn't there, in order for us to say this is something we want to be in, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we don't have to be the same. We don't have to see like the same films. Mm-hmm. But if there's no commonality in culture or any other facet of life you're not going to be attracted to them in the first place if there's no commonality you might be because there usually is something that you're mm. drawn to okay there will be commonality somewhere yeah, I would mm. agree with it's that. highly unlikely that you will be drawn to somebody that there is no commonality there's going to be something for sure yeah it's whether you can tolerate there being differences like you might like only going to see black and white art house movies and they might like going to see Disney and it's being able to tolerate that difference. And also I think, Joe, not just tolerate, but I think there's, there's a, a, an aspect Celebrate. of giving. So say taking that example of loving different movies, occasionally I might choose to go to that Disney movie because my other half loves it and they might want me to go with them. So that's where giving comes in. Oh, that's, a, that's such a beautiful thing to bring up, though. It is, it's, and it takes us into more the adult part of our brain. And I think that adult part of our brain, which is much more active in our work life, in the outdoor life, you know, outside the fishbowl of our family and our home life, is that the adult brain gets, gets used much more. And through the use of that and giving and receiving from a very adult place saying, I may not love doing this, but you know what? I want to because it's going to give them pleasure. I can do a whole thing on that. And I'm going to do a whole thing on sex and giving and receiving. Giving is so important. And I came across this other beautiful phrase. And actually, it was in a podcast by an Australian chief executive talking about how he had transformed his company culture. And he'd said this phrase. and It was so beautiful. I wrote it down. The genius is in the and. So instead of either or, so you have your things you love, Joe, and 
Richard, you have your things you love, and they might be very different. But the genius, the meeting and the loving is in the end. Mm. The point where you meet and the fact that you might sit through a movie you really don't like. We all do it for our kids because of what it means to them. them. That's very interesting. In my world, I'm an actor and I've trained as an actor and grown up through it. In improvisation, it's the first rule of improvisation. Mm-hmm. You don't say... So if you're in a scene and you're, you're improvising with somebody yeah. and they make a suggestion, you to say yes, but... Uh, is actually to it. shut is actually yes. to shut them yeah. down. So the first rule of improvisation is you say yes and so you take their idea further. Yeah. Yeah. You build on it together. Exactly, it's the same thing. The genius is in the end. I just it love is. that phrase. Absolutely, and that's where couples meet in I mean, the end. I have a lovely. I always um, bring up this example of um, Goldie Horn, and mm-hmm. she's married to Kurt Russell, and she said that you know she's. I think she's vegan. She's definitely doesn't eat meat. And Kurt Russell likes to go hunting and shooting animals at the weekend. And that's his thing. And so that's a big difference. I mean, you know, that. And she said, I just refuse to make that a deal breaker. We have a big difference, but it doesn't have to be a deal breaker. I I don't really understand it, but I respect the difference. You know, I, I, you know, hats off to her. I don't know if I could live with a guy that goes hunting and shooting animals, but... You know, love. And how love lovely. is deep. Yeah. Exactly. And how <laughs> lovely to say it's not a deal breaker, mm. you know. So what, uh, in terms of takeaways from this conversation, mm. in terms of practical strategies, and we've heard quite a few, what, what's the summary of what people can do? What, how, what's the first thing to try and, try and sort of um, neutralise these inflammatory situations? Well, I, I think allow yourself to feel whatever it is you're feeling, acknowledge it, accept it. And by accepting it, what you're doing is you're pausing, you're breathing, and then thinking. And and that gives a reflective context to any interaction, if you can do that. So there's that accept, pause, breathe, and think. I sort of describe breathing as the bridge between the mind and the body because when we're uh, activated and triggered into a very emotional place all of us our breathing will go shallow and fast and when you just notice your breathing so I suddenly notice gosh my breathing's gone rapid and fast it usually means you're triggered just stay with your breathing don't boss your breathing people sometimes want to say to themselves right breathe never doesn't work the, the body just resists being bossed around so just notice your breathing and what you'll find is as you notice your breathing it will automatically slow down because it's trying to keep up your mm. breathing with the racing mind and the heart so it becomes this sort of bridge mm. between the body and the the brain mm. And if you can just slow it all down, mm. everything will slow I down. I love the sensitivity of observing and not giving orders. Well, it goes back to that thing of noticing and acknowledging the feeling. If you go, you're really centering your attention on your yeah. body. Yeah. Notice, that's a great word to take away. Just notice. Just notice what's going on, on in me. your body. Yeah. Because it's all, it's yeah. telling you everything yeah. there and that's where you will be able to regulate it. Okay, that was just wonderful, Penny. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a gift having you here with us. Fantastic. And lovely learnings from you. Thank thank you. you. I enjoyed it. 
Thanks for listening to Love Maps. We hope you've taken away something useful. If you know anyone who's struggling in their relationship, please share our podcast with them. You can find more information about the topics covered and links to therapeutic support on our website, lovemapspodcast.com.